All right. Man, great worship this morning. Thank you, guys. I love, to, love when we sing the gospel the way we did today, just the, all the elements of the gospel, our dependency upon Christ and his ability and willingness and action to step forward and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And today we're going we're gonna to continue to talk about Jesus and who he is in, in another uh, story or account of Jesus. Uh, this particular account is Jesus and his disciples. Uh, and and they're, they, they had an experience together that ultimately led the disciple to ask some questions and get some answers. And ultimately today our topic is prayer. Jesus, how, uh, Jesus teaches us how to pray. One of the things that we can count on with Jesus is that he teaches us how to pray. And as I was just sitting there thinking about this, uh, you know, kind of overall what this message is about today is the fact that we don't really act like that, that Jesus has purchased our access to God when we pray. That our prayers so many times are prayed like they have nothing behind them, like, like God may or may not hear. And usually it's based on our Uh, actions during the week, what we did or didn't do, and how we measured that in our own minds. Did we do well? Did we not do well? But prayer is such an awesome thing to think about and study. When we think about prayer, I don't know where you guys are in regard to that, but, and I've read every book, it seems like, I know I haven't, but it seems like I've read, anyway, I've read all the people that I really trust and follow, uh, good theologians, good preachers, in the, on the topic of prayer, and I still got to tell you guys, man, I am, there are a lot of things about prayer that I'm confused about, uh, not really confused as in I haven't made any decisions about, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about, like for instance, fasting for me, I've always wondered about fasting, and certainly there's lots of books and lots of people that talk about fasting and the benefits that there are to fasting, and there are benefits, that are just defined in, in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, in regard to fasting and what it does for us. But I've just never felt led of God, or very seldom have felt led of God to fast. And I don't know why. And it makes me feel like I'm missing something, you know. Because, not because God told me to fast, but because I don't feel led to fast. And everybody else seems to be fasting over a topic or whatever. Y'all get me on that? And some of you have been there too. And, and most of the times what I've done is I've kind of caved into the pressure from the outside. Uh, like we talked about last week of Martha and Mary, you know, those cultural pressures to conform to that. Just to be accepted by people or, you know, honestly because I just really don't know. Maybe there is some benefit that I'm not aware of. And so I just kind of take off and do it. And that's okay. Uh, we're going to see today that Jesus lays out some principles for the disciples regarding prayer. Uh, that are that are very useful while we're figuring it out. You know, while we're trying to figure out what prayer is all about by experience, uh, we need to pray. I mean, because praying is what ultimately is going to allow you to figure out what prayer is all about. Did that statement make sense? Yeah. Praying, pra- the practice of prayer is ultimately going to help you to understand your, experiencing of, your experience of God in prayer is going to be ultimately what helps you to figure out what prayer is all about. And so it's a very significant message for me this week, and I hope for you as well. And honestly, man, I have, there's so much in this 
for those of you who are here visiting, and we have quite a number of people who are visiting first time, um, and, and who don't, aren't here from week to week, what we're doing is we're working our way through the Gospels, and we're looking at the stories of Christ and his encounters with people. We're just working through the synoptic Gospels. So if you take the, all four of the Gospels and you lay them out and you, and you walk through them uh, in somewhat of, if you can, uh, somewhat of a, uh, in the order in which they happen, uh, chronological order, uh, if you take from all the Gospels how they happened, uh, this is one man's idea of how it might have happened, one particular author uh, or editor of the text of the Bible. And so we're walking through it that way. It's not really significant that we're walking through in the right chronological order because nobody knows that. But it, we're trying not to miss any stories. And we're trying to kind of take them as Jesus experienced them in his life. And so we're looking at Jesus, and, and the focus is on Jesus. It's not, and that's different. It's been very hard for me. And this message today, I can tell you, and those of you that have ever preached or taught from the Bible, you're going to see the difficulty of not taking this passage and giving a list of how-tos. It's so hard not to do that. Some, some of these stories, it's hard not to just take the passage and say, just do this. And some of them, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to not take it and teach doctrine because doctrine comes out of the text. Uh, it's hard not to just teach uh, theology because theology comes, is in the text and comes out of it. And all those things are things that we have done and will do. We'll continue to, to, to find our theology and our doctrines and our practices in the Word of God. But there's also a person in the text. From cover to cover, the Bible is about a person. And it's a revelation of God. The Bible, in its simplest definition, is the revelation of God to us. The Holy Spirit gave us this revelation of who God is. And it's important that we not miss the person behind the text, the person behind the doctrines, the person behind the theology, the person behind the practices. Because ultimately, as you know and I know, there are, we find, if, if we find ourselves in Christ, sitting at his feet, then he is able to define for us what it is he wants us to do that is consistent with and supported by the text of the Bible. But in our everyday lives, when we make a decision about how, what direction are we going to go as a church, we didn't just randomly decide, well, this is what our distinctives are going to be. We prayed and sought God as elders, and we emptied the pages and said, we're not going to be anything until you tell us to be it. And that's what's happened with the Gathering Place churches, is God has defined for us what we're to do. And then now as we have two churches in two locations, we're asking God with two groups of elders, what do you want to happen in this location? What do you want to happen in that location? And, and we're, we look different. So the reason why we look different is not because we had two really good ideas about how to do church. It's because the Holy Spirit is leading us to do what we need to do in our area. So does that make sense to everybody? So that's what we're doing. We're really trying to see who is Jesus? Who is he in this text? And today, uh, again, was one of the hardest messages for me just to, to isolate the person of Christ. But I love the fact that Jesus teaches us to pray because we, know we need to pray like he prayed. There was never a time that Jesus prayed that his prayer wasn't answered. There was never a time that Jesus prayed that he didn't uh, consult the Father about what his will was and have an understanding of what the Father was doing on the earth 
before he asked God to do anything in him or through him. There never was a time that he prayed and asked God to do something that God didn't do what he asked. And so who better to teach us how to pray than Jesus himself? And so I'm, I'm for one, this week I'm encouraged that Jesus is teaching me how to pray. And I hope today as we look at this text that you'll be convinced of that as well and maybe pray a little differently as the, uh, after today's message. So Luke chapter 11 is where we are, verses 1 through 13. And with that kind of introduction, you know what we're going to, you know where we're going to end up. And so I'm going to move quickly through the text. Everybody ready? All right, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your name. There you go. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if, he, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, let's dive in. First things first. This passage identifies something at its beginning that the gathering place is all about. This is what we're pursuing. For people who are abiding in Christ and in our passion and our heart and our mission is to come to know God by experience through obedience. Right? If that's our passion and our desire, and it is for us as a church, if that's our mission, then this is so significant. This passage starts with Jesus praying. The Bible says uh, in verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. That is not an insignificant point, but I want to tell you, it's amazing how many times when I preach the list, I can go right into, let's talk about the prayer, right? And all the elements of the prayer, which we won't even do today. We're not going to break down the prayer into pieces today. But the significant thing is what drew the disciples to ask the question was they heard Jesus pray. They heard the most impassioned prayer that they ever heard. They heard Jesus communicating with the Father. I'm confident also on their behalf. They heard Jesus praying intercessory prayer, which was not common. We'll talk about that in a minute to to Israel in, in that time. He heard them, he heard Jesus asking the Father for specific things 
for specific situations. He heard him praying and pouring his heart out to God as he did in John chapter 17, where we do have a record of Jesus' prayer, where he cries out to God for everybody. He cries out to God for those who are stuck in sin. He cries out for his disciples specifically and, and, for, uh, and, and agrees with the Father about what he's done to give them the knowledge they have of him and, how, and ask God to, not to protect them but to empower them as they go out. And then when new believers come, he prayed for new believers that would come to him through the disciples and said, uh, build them up, make them one. And impassioned prayers for people. But they heard Jesus pray. Have you ever heard somebody pray that really just always connects with God? I mean, you know that they are people who are passionate about the Lord because their prayer is not a bunch of rote, memorized ideas and concepts and thoughts. Have you ever heard someone like that? I know most of you probably have. When you hear someone pray and you know, man, it's the Holy Spirit in them just pouring his heart out for them. It's their will and their desire, but the Holy Spirit communicates it so much better. He just pours it out of their mouths. I love to hear people pray like that. I'm challenged by that kind of prayer. And, you know, that's the kind of prayer. Can you imagine, though, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, communicating with his Father, his heart for people and for himself and his own ministry and what he, God's called him to do and for God's kingdom to come on the earth, that as he, as he prays this prayer, the disciples go, man, you got to teach us to pray. I mean, that's the response to this, right? Jesus, okay, here it is. John taught his disciples to pray. We're your disciples. Would you, could you teach us to pray? We want to pray. They weren't just saying, teach us to pray so that we can do, the, do our duty they weren't talking about God, just tell us what to say so we can memorize something, we can say the same thing over and over again. We want that impassioned, heartfelt prayer that comes from a, from a, a, a heart that, that desires God's will above all things, to see God's kingdom come on the earth. God, would you give us that kind of heart? They heard Jesus pray that prayer. What do we have to do? What do we have to do to get that? Because, man, that was a moment. When you were praying, we were moved and challenged, and we felt what you were praying toward the Father. We feel it too. We want that. Teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. What did he mean when he said that? What did they mean like John did? They weren't talking about the content. I guarantee you they weren't talking about the content. They'd been taught on the Sermon on the Mount content before. They weren't saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray the, the prayers that John taught his disciples to pray. He weren't, they weren't talking about content. They weren't saying, you know, John taught his disciples to pray specific words. And, and, and so would you give us the, the prayer scroll, you know? Where, where, where's this prayer scroll that John wrote? Can we get one of those? They weren't teaching him, asking him that. They weren't saying, if you'll give us permission, we'll do what John's disciples did. They were saying, in John was close to God. You told us that John, of all men born of women, there's none greater than John, and he taught the, his disciples to pray. And would you teach us to pray? And that's one thing they were asking. They, they weren't asking about content, uh, even about John's content, because it had, all, it, it had also been made clear earlier in, this, in our uh, encounters with Jesus, one that we've already had in Luke chapter 5, it had been made clear to the disciples that Jesus was not expecting them to pray like John's disciples pray. Look at it in Luke chapter 5, verse 33 and 36, through 36. 
Let me remind you of this encounter that they've already had. They've already learned this about Jesus. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. They already knew that Jesus had been questioned about their practice of prayer, about the prayers that they said, and about, you know, about them praying and fasting regularly, like we talked about earlier. And they were asked, why don't your disciples do that? And Jesus gave an excuse to them for not doing it. And so imagine that. Imagine that they were thinking we should be praying and doing our, our fasting and prayers like the Pharisees do, or at least like John's disciples do, so we need to follow their pattern and do what they do, and, because there is a pattern set before us that works. Let's just do it. And Jesus told the Pharisees, they don't need to fast and pray. And then he told them why, because the bridegroom is with them. The time will come when the bridegroom won't be with them, and they will need to fast and pray. Jesus knew, listen, that fasting and praying, just like for us, some of you have encountered this, read this in books, Jesus knew that fasting and praying for people is to help us to put away sin. Some of you have have encountered that, that it would be sin in your life, and you fast and you pray to put it away. I'm, I'm I'm working intentionally toward this. I want to crucify my flesh. And so we work to deny ourselves. And so living a life of self-denial in some way and crucifying the flesh, Jesus knew that. But he also knew that the answer to that kind of prayer, the answer to a prayer of, for, all, for all of his disciples in that day, the answer to a prayer to help us to crucify our flesh that constantly comes up, these struggles that we're constantly having, teach us to deny ourselves. You know, even, even the disciples, they were still having to be reprimanded because they were selfish and self-centered and Wanting to be at Jesus' right hand and, you know, give us places of position, give us power. They wanted the wrong stuff. And they were constantly having to be reprimanded for that. And they knew that. And so fast and pray to get rid of that. No. Jesus knew the best solution to getting rid of sin in our lives, the best solution for crucifying our flesh, the best solution for denying ourselves is the presence of God with us. It's the manifest presence of God in our lives. Now, you think about that for a minute. The bridegroom was with them. Jesus was with them. You know what's the best thing to get sent out of their lives? Be, hang out with Jesus. Their lives were radically transformed. Their desires were radically changed, so much so that when Jesus left, only three years after, spending, uh, after they met him, three years after, They all were willing to give their lives, and all did except for John. Give their lives in order to perpetuate the message of Christ in the world. And you think they weren't changed? They were radically changed. Sin was no longer their desire. Their passion and their heart's desire was to walk in the kingdom of God that Jesus defined while he was on the earth. Church, we need to hear that message. Y'all ready for that? The best way to get rid of sin in your life is not to beg God over and over again, please remove this sin out of my life. Not, not, you know, it's not to, to go without something to, to, you know, if you have a problem with food, the best solution is not to just fast from food and ask God to remove it from your life, your desire. The best solution is fall in love with Jesus. 
get passionate about him, fall in love with him, and then that may not even be an issue anymore, the way you eat. It may be, but you just get in contact with him. Abide in Christ and let him and knowing him be your passion, and, and those things begin to disappear in your life. You know, for so long, man, all of us were at the point where we believe that the best way to stop people from sinning is to tell them they're wrong. When the Bible says that if you tell them they're wrong, you're just, you're just breeding more sin in their life. You're inviting, you're, you're throwing gasoline on the fire. That just draws more sin out of us when you tell us we can't. But we are convinced that if we will pick it and, and, and write articles and have media events to raise awareness of sin and, and tell people to quit, that that's going to be the solution in the church. Here's good news, man. Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, it's, he's going to teach us that it's all about our hearts being passionate about him and knowing him, and he will do the work necessary to get us there. Jesus' prayers were so effective because of that. And the disciples wanted him to teach them how to pray that way. He didn't want them, him to teach them the words to say. He wanted to teach them how to take care of the self-denial. So they weren't talking about content. When they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, they weren't talking about content. They were talking about, God, give us a passion for you. We don't need to pray like John prayed. We just want you to teach us because you are our our mentor, you're our master. And the manifest presence of God is more than enough to keep us motivated toward the removal of sin and a life of submission to him. Third thing I noticed in this story is the content was given to them. He did give them some content. But it was a reminder. Did you notice something? I bet some of you, when I was reading through the passage, you're thinking, wait, there's some stuff missing in there because it's supposed to be our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right? We all know that prayer because some people have taken that literally. They think the content is what matters. And, and so he doesn't use that here. He had already taught that at the Sermon on the Mount. That was the prayer. The disciples had already heard that. And so he gives them content first because content is important. But he summarizes and he says, instead of all of that, the Father's name is, is holy. It's this world and life is all about his kingdom being here on the earth, his will being accomplished on the earth. And then God, give us what we need to survive and forgive us for our sins. That's the significant message here. So they're, they're praying that. It's not about the content. When he says, when you pray, say. It seems like he's saying, repeat the words. But that word actually in the Greek means to speak or talk with an apparent focus on the content of what is said. All of you probably memorized and knew the words of the prayer that I just prayed, but have you ever focused on the content of what it says? I'm going to summarize the content. The summary of the content is this prayer, the content is that God is holy and has an incredible, awesome life that he wants to give us on this earth. And if we will walk in his will, then, then we can have it. And so we can ask for God to bless us in the middle of that. As we're walking in his will, we can pray for our needs to be taken care of. And God wants to do that. He wants us to be his children and to walk as his children. 
But he wants us to, to walk in this world according to his will, and he will absolutely answer those prayers. The reason why God answered Jesus' prayers is because Jesus made this commitment, and he talks about it in John 5. He said, I do nothing on my own. Remember that? I only do what the Father does. And so whatever the Father does, that's what I'm doing. And because the Father loves me, he shows me what he's doing. That is the gathering place. In principle. Philosophically. And then for some of us, in practice. We want desperately for God to show us who he is. And so we obey. It's not just prayer that has that's words that mean nothing. And I want to challenge you in that. Some of you are still in the habit of praying prayers that, that are memorized prayers and have content from your past. And so uh, here's, here's what I would reckon, recommend you do in your prayer life. Slow down. Think before you speak. Nobody's in a hurry. It doesn't matter if you're paying, praying publicly or privately. Don't be in a hurry. Think about what you're saying. Say one phrase to God that, that comes from your heart. But think about it. Don't let your words be somebody else's words. And when they are, then stop to think about what those words mean and rephrase it. We need to train ourselves to do this, to pray in the way that Jesus is saying here. But another thing is this prayer is for themselves. They're encouraged by Jesus to place themselves in a position as sons and daughters of God and then ask him with expectation for the things that they need, and they will receive it. That's the, that is the word that Jesus gives us. The traditional prayers from Israel were prayers of repentance and prayers of praise. All because they feared God. They were based on a, on a reverent fear, but on fear of God. In practice, they learned how to pray out of duty in an effort to keep God from destroying them, from hurting them, from bringing discipline on them. And there was no assurance that their prayers would be answered. So if we're going to look at Jesus and what he's doing in the moment... Jesus is trying to help them to know that you don't have to pray. Don't pray. There's no good in praying the way the Pharisees are praying. There's no good in praying to God out of fear that he's going to zap you or kill you, out of duty in order to keep him at bay, to keep God from destroying us and from, from, from disciplining us. I'm not just going to pray words to appease God. God doesn't even hear those words. The psalmist says that if I, had, if I had embraced sin or held on to sin in my life, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. God doesn't hear our prayers of selfishness, and selfish desire that's centered around us, but he does hear prayers, our personal prayers, whenever we are walking in his kingdom. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray here, church, and this is for us not just for the disciples. Even though the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet in this moment, Jesus is making this point. It's the spirit of prayer that matters. And when you pray in the right spirit, ask for your own needs. It was so uncommon for them to pray and ask God to do something for them and for the people. It was always prayers of repentance and then praising God whether they meant it or not if they didn't get killed. You know, they felt good about it because they still lived another day. And so they're praising God. Confession and then praise. That was it. The Pharisee prays in duty. He tries to impress God. He tries to make sure that God knows all the things that he's doing. Yeah, the Pharisee prays to make sure that, and in his prayers, it's like, a, like he's giving a report 
uh, of how good a, uh, a son he is. Some of us have heard those prayers. Some of us have prayed those prayers. When we're in a circle of people and we're trying to impress people and we think God is impressed with our list of duties and things. God, just thank you that, you know, that I was able to witness to 17 people this week and, and Lord, I, it's all you, you know. But God, thank you that I, was, you know, that I was able to keep my anger at bay this week you know, when, when so many people were trying to push me on the, over the edge. Thank you that I was willing to go to that house that nobody else was willing to go to. And thank you that I was willing to give my $5 bill to the, to the bum on the side of the street and, and, and just make all of us more aware of that. And what I mean in that prayer is make the rest of the class get it, become like me. That's a pharisaical prayer. And that's the way we pray. And it may not be that severe, but we're the same way. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus is telling a parable, and he's making a major point, and he's making the point we're making today. Look at what he says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Then he compares that to a man who is a sinful man, recognizes his sinfulness and cries out to a God who will receive his prayer. And look what he says. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is trying to communicate a message here for us. He's trying to help us to understand, (coughs) excuse me, that (coughs) it's the change of the spirit that he's looking for. He's trying to to change our attitudes and our spirits to to understand that God receives our prayers, that he's listening, that he's with us, that that he's ready to move on our behalf if we will just quit trying to be something ourselves. And yet the, the, the people in Jesus' day and his disciples, they, what they knew of prayer was, I need to impress somebody. I need to pray right. I need to, to have the right words. I need to say the right stuff. The truth is for us, just the opposite of what is described in this story is true for us. The opposite of the, of the Pharisee's story. There is no fear needed when you go to God in prayer. You are God's children. You're asking for his provision. What father doesn't desire to give to his children? You're God's children. There's no fear needed. There's no fasting needed. You're going to be heard without sacrifice. Your father's not trying to starve you so that you 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 can figure out what his will is. He is more than willing to give you his will and to work to to take sin out of your life. Just love him. Be with him. If you want to fast, fast fast of your selfishness of of taking all of your time and not spending time with God. Be with him. Sit at his feet. There's no duty needed. You're going to be motivated internally. You don't have to do things because you're supposed to, because you have to, because you ought to. There's a motivation that comes from the inside when you're with Christ. 
So Jesus encourages them to change their prayers to prayers of intercession. Pray for yourselves. Pray for yourselves with an expectation that God, who is your Father, will not only hear you, but he will act. Pray with his will and his kingdom in mind. And pray with persistence and expectancy. He will answer. And that's why Jesus' prayers were so powerful and so 100% effective because that's the way he prayed. Now Jesus confirmed that through the parable. I won't read it again, but that parable that he, that he gave to us about the reluctant neighbor uh, not being willing to open his door if you asked him late at night and his kids were in bed with him, which is kind of weird because you can't really sleep when your kids are in bed with you anyway. But, uh, but anyway. He didn't want to get up. Maybe that was because he didn't want to wake the kids up because he knew how, what big a deal that would be, right, to get back to sleep. But anyway, he didn't want to get up. And Jesus is trying to tell him that. He's trying to confirm this truth. Jesus, which, uh, it was Jesus' way of encouraging them to continue praying until they got an answer from God. Just be persistent in prayer. Keep praying. God is doing something even through the prayer. And he, he gives them three things to do. Ask, seek, and knock. And when you look at those words in the original language, ask is to ask for with urgency, even to the point of demanding, to ask for, to demand, to plead for. And there's some of us that that's where we are in our prayer life. We, we are begging God for things. We're asking hard. We're just giving everything we have. We're, we're, we're in tears. Some of you are in tears before God. I don't cry. That's the only reason I'm not in tears. I'm passionate. But we're in tears before God. Please do something with my life, with my job, with my son, with my daughter, with my kids. God, please do something with, with whatever it is in my life. I'm praying, God, please. Begging God in the process. Or some tragedy comes in our lives. And man, we are quick to go to our knees, which is the right thing to do. Don't ever stop that. We go to our knees and we start crying out to God for the tragedy that we're experiencing. God, fix this problem that we got in our lives. And Put things back together. God, please, please, please. We're begging. That's the kind of word that ask means here. But it doesn't stop there. He says ask, and then he says seek. And the seeking is when the prayer's not answered or doesn't seem to be answering, uh, he doesn't seem to be answering it, or I, I'm, I'm really, I, I started crying out to God because of the urgency of the moment, but now I'm seeking God. God, what is your will? What, what in this circumstance can I get that that actually is going to be eternal? What part of what's going on in my life right now is has eternal value? And, and all of us have seen this in life groups as we prayed for each other. We've seen trauma come into each other's lives. And some, you know, for most of you, because of the stage of life you're in, you lose a job and you're having to find another one because you just got married and or you get just got married and you don't have a job. And you're trying to figure out what are we going to do to survive. And, and there's that trauma in your life. And you're begging God, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job. Please show me what to do, show me what to do. Or just give me a job. And then we start bouncing around from interview to interview and nothing happens. And we think, okay, wait a minute. I need to ask God what he wants me to do. That's the seek part. You ask and then you seek. You want to gain understanding. That's... Seeking is trying to, literally, trying to learn the location of something. And in this case, the answers. So some of you have been crying out. You've been wasting a lot of energy and tears, screaming out to God for something that he will never give you because you haven't 
stopped to seek his will to find out what it is he wants to give you. So Jesus is teaching them to pray. But it's not about the content. It's not praying the right words. Even the words put things in perspective. That's the point, is that when you pray according to the will of God, there's something waiting. There's an answer waiting, and then you finally just knock. Knock is like knocking at somebody's door. But what do you do when you knock on somebody's door? What do you do? You wait, right? If that person is home and you are their friend, what do you expect? You expect them not to look through the blinds and then push them back real quick. You expect them to come to the door, open the door and let you in. That's the kind of expectation that we need to have. And when we're walking in the will of God, when we're asking and seeking the will of God and not just praying, crying out to God because we're in selfish prayers of fix this, fix this, fix this. We're crying out to God, God, what is your kingdom? What what does this experience and this circumstance and this trauma have to do with the kingdom of God and do your kingdom work here? Then what we can do is when we go to the door of God, we can know the closer we get to that, the more we abide in Christ, when we knock on the door, he immediately opens the door and he invites us in and gives us what we need. He gives us what we're asking for. That sounds like a prosperity gospel word right there. Right, Kobe? Kobe grew up in that, so he knows that sounds like prosperity of God. So just ask God for what you want, and he'll give it to you. No, it's so much deeper than that. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. It's not empty, dead words, but it's not also just tell him what you want. It's abide in him. It's seek him. It's, yes, start out by crying out to God, but when you don't get an answer immediately, then, you, then there's something wrong with the seeking part. And so I'm going to find out, God, I'm seeking an answer to this, and the answer is deeper than the situation. Matter of fact, here's how it will change your knocking. Here's how it will change your knocking and your reception of an answer from God. Is for the first time in my life when I started recognizing this, which wasn't long ago. For the first time in my life, I can say now all the time, every time a certain trauma comes up, situation, horrible uh, situation comes up in my life, I can always say, God is in this. I'm good. God, what is, what is your will in this situation? And here's, here's a harder prayer. Some of you are in a tough situation right now. Is to say, God, keep this here because I can see the kingdom work you're doing in my life. Keep it here. I don't want it to go. As hard as it is, I want it in my life. Some of you, I'm, I'm thinking about the Katrina story because I uh, just watched Hannah's video uh, that she did of, of all these families. Not Katrina, I'm sorry, the, the last flood that we had. In Baton Rouge and Denver Springs flooded so badly. Just thinking about that story and the story, what they were talking about at the beginning of your story, Hannah, and at the end of your story, they were saying, God had a purpose. God had a reason. God, and, and we, the people we were helping, we were at uh, Carly's parents' house, uh, mudding out their house, and, and to hear her parents say, it, always, it, brings every, it brings our things into focus. We got too much stuff. God does stuff through that, but can you sit in the middle of that and say, God, keep it going? Because I'm, I am... Falling in love with you in a deeper way in the middle of this weird crisis. That's the weirdest thing in the world, it seems like, but it is so God. And so in the middle of whatever you're facing right now, I just want to encourage you, 
instead of asking God to take it away, ask God what he's doing. That's a better question. That's a seeking question. It's not gone yet, so if it's still there and in your life, make good use of it because God wants to show you eternal things in the midst of your problem. I ask you guys all the time, how many of you have come to know God in very intimate and deeper ways? The, most, the deepest ways you've come to know God has been through the toughest circumstances. Yeah, that's why. Jesus is giving us truth here that we can hold on to. He's teaching us how to pray, so, so pray that way. And then what I, what I love about abiding is this. The other day, and I don't even know why we did this. I was a little bit early at uh, Life Group on Wednesday night. And so, uh, so we walked into Life Group on Wednesday night. I, I, got, I got there early because I had elders meeting and just went from here. And I knocked on the door. I never do that at Coven Carly's house. It was a little bit early, so I knocked on the door. And I kind of waited there a minute. And that was weird to me. Because you know what's normal for me now? I just walk in. They know I'm coming. I walk in. I walk in. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the moment he breathed his last breath, the the veil was torn between God and us. That, That thing that separated us from the presence of God, from coming boldly before the throne of grace and asking for what we needed, that that wall was torn down. There is no door there anymore. If you feel good about knocking, knock. But you know what? What he's talking about here is there is a, there, God is right on the other side of the door ready to open it. Knocking is just asking. Just ask. That's what it is. It's just asking in our language. Just, just talk to God about it. Because when you're walking in his will, when you're abiding in him, when you're doing what Jesus was doing in his demonstration that blew the disciples away, then God answers the prayer. He always answers it. There's no condition to that after you have walked with him. God is different than the reluctant neighbor in this story. He's not, not only is he ready to answer, but he's going to ultimately give an answer to every prayer that we give. And then finally, he's pointing a picture. At the end of it, he says this. It seems kind of random, but it's not. He says, those of you who are fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Then in verse 13, he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He says, God's going to give us the Holy Spirit. Why does he say that? Because Jesus was the only one that had the Holy Spirit. Disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit. He said, ultimately, guys, you want to know what? When, you're, when you heard me pray a while ago and it blew you away and, you, and you've been seeing me pray and hearing me pray and watching God respond to my prayers and that's what you want? You want to see God's kingdom on the earth? You want to see God doing in your life and through your life the things he's doing in and through my life? And you want your prayers to be in passion to God and, and to be filled with love and faith and results? If you want that, here's the ultimate key. It's the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give him to you. The Father's going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to do for you what I've been doing for you, only he's going to be better because he's going to be in you. Right now he's with you. He's going to be in you, and every one of you will be able to pray separately about the same thing and get the same result. Again, that's what makes the gathering place the gathering place. Jesus was helping the disciples. 
He was helping the disciples in their weakness as they're trying to figure out what, what is life about? How do we live this life? How do we overcome sin? How do we pray prayers of passion to God? How do we differ than the rest of Israel who constantly prays to God and gets nothing but discipline and punishment? How do we pray differently than them? How do we pray like you? And church, I want to tell you all this. The Bible is so clear that this is for us. The reason why we're looking at the life of Jesus is because we want to know who he is. And he is, he teaches us to pray. And for us, it's the Holy Spirit living inside of us, teaching us how to pray, interceding with us and for us. Look at Romans 8, and we'll close with this, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows, here's here's why, he knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, how? According to the will of God. (laughs) I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that the, the, the stupid stuff that I say before my face to God, uh, before God's face, on my face before God, the things that I say to him that I'm trying to get him to do, the Spirit is saying, nah, he didn't really mean that. Because his heart is for you. His heart really is to know you. And that was stupid what he just said. He, know, he doesn't know it, but let me just tell you what he means. That the Spirit is interceding for us in ways that we can't understand because our hearts aren't there yet. And so we just practice. We just keep on practicing. We keep on starting our prayer with lifting up the Lord and honoring Him and recognizing that, that the best life that we can live is under His authority. And the best thing that can happen for us is for His kingdom to come on the earth and in our own individual lives. And God loves us enough that He teaches us how to pray. And He wants to teach you. He wants to teach you how to pray. I'm so thankful for Jesus today because he's, he teaches us how to pray. He's enough. You know, there are people that are going to tell you, you don't pray very good. You don't pray right. Some of you are nervous about praying in public. And some of it's just because you're, you're introverted severely, some of you. But some of you are afraid to pray out loud in public because you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing and somebody's going to get on you or laugh about it. Man, throw it out there. Talk to God. Get your words out there, but get it with this in mind, that you want to pray according to the will of God. You want to seek his will, seek him, pursue him, abide in him, and then our prayers will automatically be things that are right. And God will begin to, you'll begin to see your prayers answered. And you'll begin to see things in your life disappearing that you didn't even pray for. You'll see God answering your prayers when you pray for faith. Here's a good example. Most of you don't pray for faith or you don't pray for patience because when you pray for patience, what happens? God gives you some. <laughs> but you've got to have a circumstance to experience a need for patience before you can have it. But you'll start seeing God surprise you with the things that he's teaching you about himself. So it's all about pursuing him. And Jesus teaches us and the Holy Spirit is still teaching me and is teaching you, hopefully, how to pray. Don't give up on it. But don't just lock into some, memorize something. Don't feel like you, your empty words mean anything to God. Just remember, man, we are pursuing Him. We're abiding in Him. We want to know Him. And so, ask, seek, knock. 
do that. But do it with these thoughts in mind. That God's all about giving you what you need. And you will rejoice in it if, you're, if you can just take on his perspective. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us to pray. Lord, I, I, uh, I thank you that as the pastor of this church, I don't know how to pray. I think it frees everybody else up. God, we just need you to teach us. I need to learn. And so, God, uh, we as a church submit ourselves to you in this and ask, Lord, that you would teach us to pray. Make our prayers come to life. Let them accomplish the things that you want them to accomplish in our lives. Because, God, we have, we have heard you pray through people who are passionate about you, and we want to pray like that. I know there's no shortcut to that. And so I just pray that you would mold our hearts to love you more as we follow you in the ways that we know you're speaking and that we'd be changed, God, into people of prayer. I pray in Jesus' name.